Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There was this, all these other people there. I hadn't got a clue who they were, but of course they were the oncology team. So basically just said, I'm really sorry, but Lynn has to keep you. I'll never forget it. I just looked at this picture and I remember Lynn just sat there and she she sort of cried and um, it was just terrific, you know. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrog. And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters out every single Tuesday. I think uh, this week's episode is probably, for definitely for me, was, was the most difficult uh, conversation I've probably ever had, I think, <laughs> with someone. Um, we spoke to Jane McKenna. Uh, she's the founder of the Laura Lynn Hospice. For people who don't know, Laurelin is the only children's hospice in Ireland, mm. um, and um, it is named after her two daughters who both passed away. Mm. And it's quite a—it's one of those stories that you actually make a film or a book. Mm. You can't sort of—you can't sort of make it up. Yeah. And then when you hear it, you sort of go, "How can that possibly?" happen to yeah. one person on the one day yeah. Um, yeah no I agree it sort of was one of the more difficult ones I think the one or two we've done where we've talked about the, the passing of kids mm. and kids dying I find and I know you do as a yeah. mum that it's the more difficult ones mm. because you can sort of find some sort of rationale when somebody's older mm. to a certain extent but when they're little mm-hmm. it, that's just really hard yeah. to do and it was another one of those interviews that you sort of sitting there and when you finish you realise you've got all the tears streaming <laughs> down your face oh I know you know without realising it during yeah. the actual chat and that can I'm, I'm sure that must be hard for Jane um, because her story is is is, is so traumatic. unimaginable yeah. and traumatic and when people hear it I think it's hard it's hard not for the emotion not to just mm. sort of pour out um, obviously like you'll probably hear I'm <laughs> embarrassingly bawling through the whole thing but I think that she she tells the story from really in great detail to mm-hmm. us um, and it was really remarkable that she was willing to sit down and remember all of that with us um, yeah, and share it and I think anyone who doesn't know the story that will be quite I think quite taken aback I think this yeah. is um, an episode that's going to sit with a lot of people yeah. for a long time mm-hmm. 
Jane McKenna is the founder of Ireland's only children's hospice, the Laura Lynn Foundation, both named after her two children, Laura and Lynn. Sadly, her vision to create the National Children's Hospice was spawned from tragedy. Jane and her husband, Brendan, suffered an unthinkable loss in 1999 and 2001, as both Laura and Lynn passed away to different illnesses age 4 and 15. Jane is here to speak about her family's story and what motivated her to give back in her grief. Can you tell us, just to start off, a little bit about your family's story? Yeah, we were married six years before we had Lynn and um, Lynn was born fine, perfectly healthy. I had a tough time. <laughs> um, you know, the birth was pretty kind of, I had a hemorrhage at the birth and I had a hemorrhage two weeks later. So it was kind of, you know, it was pretty iffy, but she was fine anyway, which I suppose was the main thing. And I was fine in time, of course. And the little girl we waited for for a while. And, you know, finally had. And uh, Lynn, as I say, perfectly healthy. You know, she was an only child for nearly nine years, but she was quite outgoing. And she went to a co-educational school, which was one of the first ones actually in Dublin. For an only child, she was quiet. And she was quiet in one way, but she wasn't in another way, you mm. know. And then she went to a drama. I joined her in a drama as well when she was about, I think she was only four or something. And she absolutely loved that. She really loved it and kind of thrived from it, you know. I think mm. that brought her out of herself a lot. So she always wanted this little sister. And Aww. she wasn't planned or not planned. And, and again, when we came to be pregnant with Laura, Lynn was nearly nine when she was born. Yeah. And I suppose I secretly, you know, people were saying to me, I think it's going to be a boy this time. And probably for Brendan, I was kind of thinking, yeah, well, that'd be nice. But <laughs> in, in a secret way, I wanted the girl and mm. I knew Lynn wanted the sister. Yeah. So I suppose when I when I looked at it then afterwards, you know, I thought, well, whatever, if it was a boy or a girl, once they were fine. But unfortunately, when Laura was born, we kind of knew fairly straight away that there was a problem. And it was her heart. Mm. She, well, they said it was a hole in the heart. It was something that was repairable that she should come out the other end of. So that was all pretty positive while it was a shock at the same time. Basically, a little bit of the joy was kind of gone, you know, because of the not knowing what was ahead or, you know, the shock, I suppose, of having something wrong with your child. Um, we kind of knew the day after she was born in the rotunda that there was a problem. She just wasn't feeding well. And uh, they brought her over to Crumlin and I was still in the rotunda and I remember sitting there in the room, you know, and everybody else had their babies and she was gone. Mm. And of course, not knowing what, mm. what it was or, you know, all that sort of stuff as well. And then for Lynn too, you know, she'd come in to see her and I don't know, I can't remember at what stage we told her whether she knew at that stage because she was only nine at that point. Um, but anyway, I, I got out fairly quick. That The birth was a lot easier than Lynn's had been. And we went over to Crumlin and I remember the consultant, Dr. Duff, he was a lovely man. He did say to us, you know, she wasn't on anything. She wasn't on oxygen or anything like that. So that was kind of positive as well. And he explained what it was and what would happen. And he just said, she'll probably never be um, a world class athlete, but she'll be fine. Okay. Well, mm. as he thought. And we thought, that's fine. We don't want That'll a world class do. athlete. Yeah, we yeah. We're quite happy with that. Yeah. So. That was the start of the journey, basically. So after that, obviously, Laura had some operations for the heart. She had. So every time she went into an operation, you know, that's a big worry for a parent, even when their child is going in for like a tonsillectomy or something. How how was obviously for you and your family and for Lynn? What was that like every day when you watched her go through the doors? It was pretty tough. She didn't actually go in until she was almost seven months old. So we kind of had her at home for that stage. Yeah, still very tiny and still. And she was fairly good up to that. You know, she didn't have to be on anything particularly or that. I don't think she was even on medication, but they knew like they kind of said they'd leave it as long as they could so she wouldn't be too young. Mm. And then they put a shunt in the heart. So that was the start of it. So she she went in, um, I think it was August that year as well, and had the shunt put in. 
in and uh, it, it, it seemed to have gone okay on the day we were there but the following day the figures on the machines weren't looking good and they didn't know what was wrong and so he came back in which was a Thursday I remember and he was probably after being operating in other places himself I think um, but anyway he came in he brought her down to theatre at 7 o'clock in the evening and Lynn was staying with friends because again you were trying to work around her mm. Again, I don't know how much she kind of took in or how much she knew she would have been 10 at this stage. Um, but anyway, he took her down to theatre and the consultant would come up and down every so often. And actually at one point then they said, well, we think you should get Lynn in because we're not quite sure or things are not looking great. We did get Lynn in and it really wasn't looking good from what we heard. But anyway, around 11 o'clock, I think it was something like that. And he came up after finally bringing her around. Mm. A shunt had got, or a, a clot had gone through the shunt and he had opened and closed her several times. And every time he closed her, the machines would drop again. Mm. I don't understand the full ins and outs of it, but mm. that's how he explained it. And eventually he found the, the clot, luckily enough, and he kind of saved her life. He was actually tempted to do the full repair, but because mm. she was so young mm. and she was on ventilation for quite a while and she was literally in the hospital most mm. of the time. They probably said the seed did it that this mightn't go yeah, as well the way as you were it, hoping it yeah, would go. Yeah, I don't think it was ever going to be as clear as we thought initially. Mm. You know, our for them, they ended up taking the top lobe of her right lung off just before that Christmas. Anytime she'd come out, she'd seem fine when you were going out at her at the door and the next day she'd be back the breathing and the whole thing so they felt this was the answer so that was literally just before that Christmas and I really thought she had failed so much because she'd been through a lot and she wasn't as well she wasn't eating obviously she couldn't um, and she had ate fairly well for a heart child you know to to a degree but um, I, I didn't think she'd come out at the, the theatre I was I think it was November it wasn't long before Christmas or early December I can't remember exactly but she did she came through and she spent her first Christmas and her first birthday down on the 20th of January in um, ICU, which was pretty horrific. She was still on ventilation and that the, the ventilation she was going on and the longer they're on ventilation, the harder it is to get them off and mm. stuff like that. And then the feeding, of course, they're fed through the tube and they lose the touch for the mouth and all mm. that. But anyway, she did come out shortly after her birthday, she came out and she did OK, like very weak and mm. stuff. And I remember going home and I remember thinking, I can't press a button here anymore. You mm. know, at least you can, yeah. even though I was delighted to have her home in one way, but it was nerve-wracking. Yeah. She still yeah. had the feed tube and sort in of and all. all-encompassing in one way, considering yeah. you also had Lynn's needs as well. Yeah, as you're trying to. Yeah, trying I always to give feel equal. Yeah, they don't. Time. They really don't. That's what I always feel because I look at you know Laura Lynn House now, and you see the child, the sick child, takes priority mm. naturally, yeah. and you know the the other siblings. You know, it is very hard for them as well. You know, it's I think it's awful. But anyway, she did, and actually before we left, a nurse. She was really great. This nurse, one, they were all great in their yeah. own way. But you know, there's always one or two that mm. are really special and she had insisted on trying to get her to eat again mm. because you see they don't want to eat because they're getting so many things the suctioning and all that mm. and uh, she did start it. she got a big huge um, what do you call them uh, um, that you put a needle in. Oh, I can't think syringe. of it. Syringe. Syringe, yeah. yeah. And she she put the, the thing in that, um, got it sort of mashed up and started to get it in. Oh. So by the time we got her home, she was beginning to eat because her children are not great mm. eaters anyway at the best of times. Mm. So she did. She came around. We went back in in March then for a visit, um, you know, to check her on that. And obviously she was going to be back and forward a lot. And she was on med- various medications and that. She came out after that yeah. then and she never looked back okay. even, you know, she yeah. really, until, you yeah. know, it came to the, the time for the final 
Crumlin. And again, of course, anyone who's been to Crumlin or knows Crumlin, you know, the cancellations. I don't know many times they were cancelled. And now it kind of went on. They were going to wait till she was a little bit older. And obviously, and she did. She, You know, we always say she was a little Shirley Temple. She really was. She had beautiful curls. And Lynn had the straight hair like mine. She had the curly hair like Brandon's probably because he he had that. And um, she just was. And she, I don't know, you know, I often say, did she kind of nearly know? Now, of course she didn't. But I don't know what she understood of her own stuff. And she, you know, I think sick children just they get on with it and they just mm. they're used to it and it's part of their life but I think for Lynn looking at her it was probably was hard and she loved her but of course she still got her nerves because <laughs> Lynn was going on to like 12 yeah. and whatever and you know she kind of there were times she please get her out of my room and don't this that and the other you mm. know so, but she did she absolutely adored her but um, she did yeah she was mm. she was a bubbly little thing again she ate pretty well as you know as well as a heart child and probably better than some mm. and she built up and she was to all intents and purposes if you looked at her she'd be fine people who wouldn't know except her breathing. Her breathing was never great and they did check her airways because of all that but actually her airways were fine. It was just all probably from all the ventilation and stuff. She would be if you, you'd hear her coming now, mm. do you know and we got so used to that we didn't pay any attention but like one of my friends one time we brought her out and she was kind of quite shocked and we were saying what? <laughs> because we were so, we were so used, used to it. To it. Yeah. We didn't even notice it. Do you look back on those years now, those few years where she was building, her strength was building and you guys, the, all of you were together um, yeah. Are those years very precious now when you when yeah, you look back on those? They are, yeah. And yeah. we had, thank God we had, even though there was always, you know, she was never 100% by any means, but she was fairly good and we're grateful for that. And, mm. you know, we had lovely times and built them up yeah. until it came to the end. Mm. But the end, as you probably know, was pretty horrific because it was the end of one journey and the start of another. So it I'm was pretty ask hard. You now yeah. what happened then? That. Because this actually is... Yeah, almost the shocking part that, that it can yeah, happen I think, to one person. I think everybody in Crumlin, even even though obviously you can imagine what they see in Crumlin, and often mm. we saw families ourselves with safe children with cystic fibrosis. Mm. I remember one with three children, and I remember thinking, "My God, three with cystic fibrosis." Mm. But I suppose it was the way it happened for us because Lynn had always been a well child. Yeah, it finally, finally, after being cancelled again in the July of that summer, um, 99, Lynn had been away with friends actually for four weeks um, in Spain. And then they came back and they were going to the Great Lakes. So we didn't see much of Lynn at all. She was probably 13 because she'd started first year. She had done first mm. year in, in, in second level and she was due to go into second year. It was the 30th of August. Finally, we kind of went in. We went in on the Sunday and the Monday then was the 30th. And they got her prepared for the surgery. And again it had to go ahead and that was it there was no choice um, but anyway the next day came and Lynn was starting back in second year so we just said to her go on into school I mean she was always quite advanced Lynn and I think she had to learn to be mm. more you know than maybe some other children might be um, so we just said go ahead she was down in the Navarro who's close to us and she got her bus herself and we didn't know how it would go the same thing we thought well you could be cancelled again so the day went on and actually we thought we were going to be cancelled Brendan came in after he finished work he was a postman so he finished early and I'd been there, but I'd stayed all night. Didn't sleep very much, you can imagine. And she hated getting the needle, even though the needle wasn't going into her. Mm. Laura, because of all the needles, you know, she'd scream, even though it was actually going into the, you know, not into her arm itself, into the, the cannula thing. But anyway, it came to about three or something and Brandon was there and I said, well, he better go on. We'd sort of said to Lynn, he might pick you up at school, but if he's not there, just go ahead home as well and we'll let you know whatever we'll call you. And there weren't really mobile phones um, at that time and we didn't have any anyway. So I remember he was literally left the hospital and as soon as he left, they said that Laura was going to go down. Now, this was around half three or something like that or closer to four. And um, the child before was just Hansel's. It was a Down syndrome mm-hmm. little girl. So they cancelled 
I think they because we'd been cancelled before mm. they didn't want to do it again so I remember asking them could we ring home and we had to ring from the nurse's station and I remember I'll never forget I, I always say it Laura just said um, goodbye Linny she called her Linny she said I'm going to get fixed <laughs> Oh. And I remember thinking, you know, it was funny how she said it and they all kind of mm. laughed like as well. But anyway, that's what she said. Yeah. So that were, they were her last words ever to, to Lynn or to, I suppose to anybody. Mm. And she was happy going down. It was very mm. strange. You know, she was she, the trolley was so whatever. And I think she sensed my nerves, though, because, you know, she said I need to go to the toilet and all of you because mm. obviously she was well trained at that stage. We got to the theatre and again, I won't go into it because it's just I, I still that's one mm. thing I don't talk too much about. I don't know. I'd never seen. I'd seen several of the um, Denise sisters. Yeah. yeah, I'd known some of them. I mean, I'd known them well. But this fella, I had actually never seen him before. Now I, I don't know. I'll never. I still don't know what the story about that was. So I was literally there on my own with him, and I was that side, and Laura was on the bed. And again, because he went to take the arm. Now he wasn't going to put anything in her arm, but she didn't know that it was going into really? the cannula. And he said um, she was kind of sitting up, and he he did. He put it in, but but um, Laura just fell back, and that's the last I saw of my child alive. Now I didn't know that at the time, of course. And luckily, my friend Mar, who I just spoke about earlier, who was over admissions, had come up. She knew. I don't know maybe how she knew, but anyway, she was waiting for me outside. So Elisa had her, and we mm. went down, and we went to the cafe, and we, you know, we said we'll have a cup of coffee, and then Lynn and Brendan. Lynn had gone on home, and that's how we we had ran. Mm. Lynn had got home just before Brendan got her, so they came back in. So. That was probably about five o'clock. I don't know. And I, I remember Lynn was starving because she'd had nothing. And she just said, um, I'll get something to eat. So she got a burger and chips or something. And even though you might laugh at the hospital food, mightn't be the greatest. But she loved her food and she'd yeah. eat. And when she, you know, she really did like her food. We all did. And um, she started to eat. Now, we didn't notice this at the time, but she, she probably ate about two chips and one bite of the burger. And she was actually starving. So I don't know. We knew subsequently why that was, but I didn't notice it at the time. But anyway, Anyway, um, for whatever reason, we came out. Nerves or anything. Yeah, or anything. I didn't really even think about it because it was only later we thought mm. about it because of other things. But we went off out anyway. Mara came out with us and Brendan had said to me, but probably, Lynn, as I say, had been away like for almost the six weeks. So we really didn't see much of her. And she had a nice tan. She took a nice colour. So I, he had said to me a couple of days before when we did see her finally around that time, mm. he, he said she looks very pale. Do you not think she looks very pale? And I said, well, not really, like she has yeah. a colour. And I said, it's probably the late nights and they were in the grail tucked and all mm. that sort of thing and her age, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, 13. Yeah. 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 So I didn't pay any attention, but funny he had picked up because actually his brother, when Brendan was 10, he was eight, he would be my age now, his brother, and he died of leukaemia. But, you know, of course, I wasn't thinking that. I think mm. Brendan was. When we came out after having the coffee and that, and um, Brendan said to Moira the same thing, he said, because she had nurse, she had the nursing background. And he said, do you not think she looks very pale? Now, Lynn wasn't complaining. Lynn had said nothing. She did say to me, they'd gone into school on the Friday before that Monday, just for a half day. You know, the way mm. sometimes they go in and it was a very hot day. And I remember her saying, I don't know if she said she did faint or she thought she was going to faint. That I did remember that after. But she wasn't complaining or didn't say anything yeah. about not feeling well. So Mara said, yeah, well, she, I think Mara's words were, she, she looks shite. <laughs> and it was kind of strange. And she did say, but look, and Brenda said, well, do you not think we should have her checked out? Now, Lynn didn't object or say anything. Yeah. Mm. And she said, well, you've enough going on up in the theatre. And uh, I don't know. Anyway, we decided that we would. Mara said, well, if you want to then. And Lynn was OK with it mm. one way or the other. She said, right. Um, so maybe she was feeling something that she never told us. And if that was mm. the case, she never did tell us. 
But anyway, when Morris said it's busy in, in there now, she said, I'll get you in, we'll bring you in later or something. So anyway, basically, to make a long story short, she did go in eventually and um, they took the bloods. And I remember Brendan and I were standing either side of the bed and I did notice there were bruises on her arms. And I probably wouldn't have known anything about that other than, and again, people say, you're making this up, but we're not. My friend's daughter, my my best friend's daughter, and this girl was, Lynn loved her. She was very close to her, but there was almost 10 years between them. She called her cousins, we're, we're not blood related, mm. um, herself and her sister, Lorraine and Gillian. Lorraine was in James's hospital, basically dying from leukaemia. So we knew leukaemia. We only knew Lorraine's leukaemia, which was a different one to the one Lynn had as, as it happened. But I remember the bruising. I knew there was something about the bruising, but we didn't say anything and nobody else did either. And then I remember some guys came back. I think there were more consultants and they said something about this rash. And I was looking at her body and I was thinking, what rash? Because it was very hard to see. I mean, mm. I could see clearly in those days. But if you looked, it was like a pin prick, prick rash. Mm. And sometimes I've subsequently learned that it is. It wasn't all over, but it was in parts. So anyway, we didn't think anymore. I suppose I did. The bruising did kind of concern me, but I didn't think about it because I suppose you just couldn't let yourself. Laura was up in the theatre at this stage. Um, so anyway, we went down to the old hallway. The, the new entrance opened, so we sat in the old hallway because we knew it would be quiet. And um, we just said, that's where we are, like if, you know, if and when you need us. Maura had to go home. This was getting late. So obviously she was gone home and whatever. And we sat in the old hallway. It's probably around nine o'clock. And shortly after that, then um, the, the, somebody came from from admission from the casualty admissions and just said, um, we need you to come round. And I remember they brought us around the back and into this sitting room. And mm. again, you kind of say, would it not click with you? And actually, yeah. <laughs> it still didn't. Mm. But I never knew this room was there even. And we went in, we sat on this couch, the tree of Lynn was in the middle. And I remember looking, there was photographs up there and then there was this, all these other people there. I hadn't got a clue who they were, but of course they were the oncology team. And Angus O'Markick was the consultant. He's really lovely as well. So we basically just said, I'm really sorry, but Lynn has to keep me. I'll never forget it. I just looked at this picture and I remember Lynn just sat there and she she sort of cried because we knew Lorraine. You see, that was the problem. If we mm. didn't, knew nothing about leukaemia, it might have even hit us as much because we might have thought, well, it's another thing that we'll get over this. And of course, at that stage, we didn't know what was happening with Laura. And um, it was just terrific, you know. When, that you know, must have seemed like yeah. such a surreal, like you're Sniper. in some sort of movie where it's yeah. not. Yeah, I think that was it. But she knew it was real it was real and you know he just Angus just said um, Lynn just looked at him and he he, he said this afterwards he she, he didn't know we knew anything about leukaemia of course at that stage and he, she just said to him um, will I lose my hair <laughs> <laughs> will I have my own room <laughs> mm. and will I have to have a bone marrow transplant and he sort of looked and he thought how does this girl know anything about bone marrow transplants he said yeah. that he told us later he said he was quite shocked with this but obviously he knew then about Lorraine in fact I think mm. he came across Lorraine at one stage because they liaise with the different hospitals before she died. But um, anyway, he did say she did, that leukaemia she has doesn't need a bone marrow transplant and it didn't at that point. And he didn't go into any details about that if you relapsed within the first two mm. years. But at that stage, he didn't tell us that. We didn't need to know it and we didn't. So he, he just that was it really. How did Lynn, at that age, your emotions are so hard to yeah, handle to deal with anyway, yeah, with exactly. hormones and yeah, just development. Absolutely. How did she process? I mean, you said she cried a little bit. But yeah, I can't even imagine a child that age yeah. who's dealing with 
um, obviously such a huge uh, yeah. loss and trauma with her sister. How did she deal with this um, yeah. information? Yeah, she just, well, you know, at that stage, obviously, Laura, she, well, she knew as well. We all knew Laura was still up in the theatre and we didn't know what was happening with her. So there was the worry of that. No, she was actually, and I said she cried, but I don't think she cried. I think she literally asked him those questions straight away. And then uh, she looked shocked, obviously, and she was shocked as we were too. And then we just got up when we had to go to, straight to oncology. I mean, she was admitted there and then and I remember walking that corridor anyone again who knows Crumlin you know oncology is like right at the back we used to laugh with them later on and say why did you put it down there it's like as if they're lepers or something mm. and they said no it was never meant to be that way but it's just the way it was because mm. even when we had been in the early stages with Laura for nearly seven months there and, and Lynn used to go into admissions to my friend and put stuff in envelopes for <laughs> them and all when she you know she'd be kind of tired and or Laura was in ICU or whatever but um, we never really saw a child with a bald head. It is like you're kind of down the other end except if you'd see them walking if they had to go for an x-ray or go somewhere. But anyway we went down and luckily, I suppose luckily enough it wasn't too busy and again we didn't know this later and um, this man and his daughter she was a beautiful girl she didn't survive either but she was beautiful and she had this beautiful voice I remember her singing when we were there for a while she sang it was her birthday or someone's birthday and she sang um, but they moved out of the room and they heard I suppose down there again they kind of said we try and put them in a room because we had to stay the night as well mm. And we had a room, this room to ourselves, which would be very rare, as mm. we found out after you share a room with somebody. And it's very it was terrible at the time. Now, obviously, mm. there's a new thing there that parents have actually actually eventually paid for. But um, it was horrific at the time. And it was a long time after that. that and the reason I know that is because I've been back there a few times for different reasons. But um, that's another story. But they're fabulous now what they have, except that you don't have the same camaraderie. That's the mm. thing. So I don't know, like they, they put up this, the little beds for us and Lynn obviously got into the bed that was there and I don't know I suppose we kind of did sleep a little bit I mean it's the early hours of the morning we were called up first sorry at half eleven and um, the, the, the someone of the team told us that Laura was you know it was very seriously ill and that it had gone as well as they hoped it would go but he didn't sound great again he was very very pessimistic so we kind of had a feeling things weren't great but you had to hope because you know he had no other thing to do. So I don't know, I suppose about three o'clock in the morning, they got us tea and some they said, a bit of toast or something. And they, they were in and out. I can't remember too much of that. But we did lie down and try and sleep. And I can't even imagine. I don't know if Lynn even, you know, I suppose she closed her eyes. But at about three o'clock in the morning, then we were called up and to the ICU. And they just said that things weren't looking great. That Laura, um, instead of instead of weaning stuff off, yeah, they, they were giving her more and more stuff. So they said it didn't look very good. So we kind of knew there wasn't a lot of hope it didn't sound like it but you still had to hope she was alive and you hope maybe she would pick up but I suppose at nine o'clock the next morning or something like that I think they called us in and they just said that she was brain dead so she she wasn't going to live so there was no point in, in you know they, there was nothing they could do basically you know so it was pretty tough and then they started to think about bone marrow and that's when we first heard about the bone marrow even though we knew with Lorraine, but and they just said just in case. That's when I suppose we realised that Lynn, oh, yeah. if she did ever, yeah, 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 yeah. and that was a hard decision. I didn't find it so hard because I thought, well, if Laura isn't, well, she was alive on the machines, but you know she's not going to live. Yeah. And I was thinking, if she could talk, even at four, she'd say, she of course, yeah, take of course. it. So Angus did say he was lovely and I'm sure it must have been very hard for them because I don't think they'd ever seen this scenario mm. before, really, even though they'd seen horrific things, obviously. But um, 
he just said, um, I'll, 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 they have to do the needle thing at the back. And he said, I may not get enough. I'll know whether I can get enough, some sort of syringe thing. He knew if, if he could, if he needed to do it or if there was mm. any point in doing it. And he said, um, she won't feel anything or whatever, which, of course, she wouldn't have. So it was Brendan more so funny. I, I just found he, he was kind of nearly against it for whatever reason. I don't know. I suppose he was thinking, will she suffer more? Now, I did think that, too. But Angus assured us that wouldn't happen. So anyway, he did this whatever syringe thing he had to do and it turned out that he wouldn't have got enough anyway. So that was that decision so there was nothing to be done there and we had to tell Lynn of course as well so that was pretty hard. I can't remember. I can't remember clearly when we told her first and her reaction but she did come up I said to her do you want to come up you know to see Laura. So she she was very iffy because she was already started her own treatment at this stage and mm. she was quite weak and she, she did come up anyway in the morning time and she spent a little bit of time and, and I, I don't know maybe you block it or maybe you just don't remember exactly but it was all pretty sad as you can imagine and I mean she looked like she was just asleep obviously you know she didn't look mm. dead or anything well she wasn't I suppose at this stage yeah. she was still on the machine so in the afternoon then they said it was time we needed to take her off so we had a little confirmation ceremony that's what it was in the morning and Lynn came up and she took Lynn's we gave her Lynn's name and um, all of that and her friend actually was allowed to come with her Siobhan she came up and it was nice that she was there I suppose we had people in the hospital and then they said in the afternoon we needed to take her off and I said to Lynn do you want to come up now because this was the time and she said I've been there I don't want to and I just said to her well look we'll go up and we'll wait for a little while I said in case you change your mind because I felt she would always regret if she didn't. Mm. Now, I don't know whether she would or she wouldn't, but she still had to make the choice herself. So she did. She came up. She she arrived up. We did wait a few minutes and for whatever reason, I think Siobhan was still with her. So it was nice she had her anyway. So we just took her off and we just held her. You know, she looked asleep. She really didn't. I suppose with children, they don't really look dead the way an adult would, you know. But um, it was, yeah, it was horrific, you know. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion and empathy for those grieving. How did you shift then from obviously the, the next few days you had we had her in plan there, a funeral yeah. and you had to go through all yeah. of that and then change your focus completely yeah. onto Lynn. How yeah. did you do that? 
I suppose in one way, you know, you didn't have time to think with the whole, with what was going on. You had yeah. to, you just had to literally kind of to take a step at a time and do what you had to do. We just decided we'd bury Laura with my mother and father in Glasnevin. Brandon's mother and father, were, both her parents were dead at that stage as well. My, my mother actually died when she was only 50 and I was only 20. So yeah. her anniversary was there recently. But um, she died of lung cancer, strangely, as well. We decided we'd put her with my parents, I suppose, again, trying to think or not think whatever it was pretty pretty horrific Lynn Lynn as I say was already in patient so she did come home I think as far as I can remember that evening and we we just did the funeral you know we just we didn't bring Laura home we had her in Cronin I w- would have liked to bring her home but Lynn didn't want her to come home for whatever reason I don't know why so we saw, thought well it's easier for there and it was a lovely little room that she was in and in mm-hmm. fairness but uh, it's not a place really that you'd yeah. want your child or that you want to be there you know your home would have been nicer if things had been different mm-hmm. I suppose but anyway, we did go to the church and I remember we carried the little coffin and that. And then we just, and now if it was now you just do it all in the one day, I suppose. But then you still did the kind of evening thing. And then the next day. So Lynn did, as far as I know, Lynn came home that night and stayed with us. I think she did. And then we just had the funeral, which we barely remember. We had the church anyway. Um, we just literally I, no I think Lynn went back to Crumlin I think on the evening of the thing because I'm almost sure the priest said well they have to go and we did and then the next day uh, we got her and, she, and we came and just literally buried Laura with with our parent, my, my parents and then we literally had to just drive back mm. to Crumlin That's But how did you walk through the doors of Crumlin having just left yeah. without one of your kids yeah. how did you go back yeah. in I don't know I like, suppose where did that, how did you get that strength I suppose we hadn't got any choice, really. Yeah. Do you know, we had to go back and that was it. I remember thinking, my God, this place, like we're back here yeah. again and where we had to go. Like, as I say, the corridor yeah. was so long. Angus used to say when his office was over one side and, and he said he walked so many, I don't know, a couple of miles a day or something if he had to go several yeah. times. And that's how far it was. And I'll never forget walking back in there. But there was nothing we could do. And you just went back in and you had to start the treatment. Yeah. And she did, uh, she, you know, she did, she did well, 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 in the sense that the first chemo, I think she was a little bit sick on. She wasn't sick on chemo after that, which was a blessing. I suppose in itself and then obviously the hair started to fall out and she'd get in and out a bit all right she wasn't constantly Uh. but initially she was in for quite a bit and I suppose overall then 10 weeks later Lorraine died Lorraine died on her 22nd Mm. birthday in James's hospital and Lynn was really I hadn't seen her cry or really talk much about Laura because I suppose she was concentrating on herself she was also Mm. thinking about Lorraine and I had only brought her to see Lorraine about a month or well maybe six weeks before whenever probably just before she'd gone away and Lorraine was actually the July of that year just early July and I remember saying to her now Lorraine doesn't look very well now everybody still had hope that Lorraine would actually live I mean we didn't know that Mm. Lorraine would die at that stage and I remember the day I brought her. This is very strange, really. I think I did write it in the book as well. I remember we drove over and um, went into James's and I said to her, now she's not looking great and whatever, because obviously she was very, very sick and really wasn't that long before she died. And um, Lynn sat up with her and there was people in her mum and a few, because they have a huge family and there was loads of people. And she sat up chatting to Lorraine. She, she just adored Lorraine, even though there was that thing between mm. them, because they knew her from the time she was tiny, you know, her said Jill, Lorraine and Gillian, her sister. But anyway, I remember when we were driving, home, Lynn said, God, I was just thinking, ma'am, imagine if I got leukemia. I'll never, fr- I always remember mm. that. And actually, she possibly had it at that stage because mm. that was the July. Mm. I just don't know. And I said, no, of course, that never happened. <laughs> never known what was ahead. 
But she just, um, I don't know, she just got on with it and she just went through the treatment. She, the hair then, she decided it was falling out and Gillian, Lorraine's mm. sister, she did. She went to Lorraine's funeral and that's the first time I saw her cry mm. in, in that church on the Navan Road. And she she was obviously thinking about Laura as well. And she that's the first time. But again, we had to go straight back to the mm. hospital. But at that point as well, she already had the same thing. So yeah. in her head, she, she must have been thinking, am yeah. I going to be next? Yeah, the there only must thing, have been, there must have been yeah. something. The only thing I suppose at that point it was the different leukemia. It was ALL she had and uh, AML is what um, mm. Lorraine had, and Lorraine always needed the bone marrow transplant, which she had had, which mm. didn't. And her sister was the perfect match, but it didn't work. Mm. But Lynn probably thought, well, at least I have to hope that because at that stage she obviously she she was going to relapse, yeah. but she didn't know that and, mm. and whatever you know. So she got her head. Yeah, she got Jillian just shaved the head. There was no point, mm. you know, when it starts to come out, and she still looked. She, like she was, you know, she was lovely and she had, she be- her, she never lost her eyelashes or her eyebrows and she had beautiful eyebrows and her eyes, she had big eyes and you could see them. I always thought she looked lovely and I remember there was another consultant and he was very involved with the Children's Hospital there. I still keep in touch a bit with, with, with some of them and that but and probably because of Laura Lynn but he was very, he was kind of, <laughs> he wasn't our consultant but he was funny and Lynn of course wouldn't suffer food sadly and she said, you know, he'd, he'd drive her mad sometimes. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> and, and he wasn't, he wasn't yeah, her consultant. Yeah. She loved Amy. Yeah, yeah. She was very, everything mm. was very straight with Lynn but she said she'd say here's any questions whatever and then he had this camera a digital camera or something mm. at the time they'd probably only come out or something and he was saying I used to say is he a consultant or a photographer <laughs> yeah. and he'd come in and he took a photograph of it. and actually oh, I have yeah. I think the photographs in the book he took photograph and he sent, he sent us the four and they were beautiful fo- you know oh, of her right. with the, the head shaved and that and then one time he came in after, way after that I think it was after she relapsed even and there was something on her finger it was nothing as it turned out but maybe he wanted to show to his, you know the medical guy or whatever he said can I take a photograph of that and she said yeah and he came in the next day and he says do you want to copy that and she basically <laughs> told him what to do with it. <laughs> but anyway um, she no, she was so cheerful she was great she got the first eight it was eight months sort of was the protocol she was on and she was in remission after the eight months but um, I can't remember exactly when that was but she only got five months before mm. the next Christmas she relapsed and I remember thinking because she so not have had you. one more Christmas mm. even with you know, thinking she was okay. Yeah, it was terrible. And then it was pretty horrific treatment after that. And Angus did say to her, and again, he always said, did I say the right thing? She sat down in front of him with us behind and he sat there and there was a nurse with him and he just said, Lynn, you know, you've relapsed and the only thing now is towards the bone marrow. And he said the treatment's pretty horrific. You can take it or leave it. And I remember asking him afterwards, I said, what if she said she'd leave it? He said, I think I knew Lynn well yeah. enough and he said I would have given her all the reasons why she might change her mind yeah. so but it was the best way with Lynn it was the only way now she just she didn't even look around at us she just said I'll take it mm. but it was pretty horrific she mm. fitted in the January and she ended up in Bowman having to get her head open because they thought it had gone into her head and I don't know how many hospitals I said to her by the time we finished then you'll be in every hospital in this country or whatever between mm. one thing and another and um, it wasn't that it was just the whole system I mean it I feel it, and it's terrible to say this, but and it's it's not true because thank God a lot do get through. But I kind of feel the, if if the leukemia doesn't kill you, the treatment will. Mm. Now she still got through it. She, you know, she she got through so much and got finally got to. There were no matches in the family, but they had matches on the you know this, this worldwide system, yeah. thing yeah, in the system. 
And we went to Luke's that day. You had to, at that time, would you believe, you had to go to Glasgow to get this thing that they have to do before the bone marrow thing. So she'd fly. Well, we didn't. No. We didn't in our yeah. case. But they had little yeah. children. Imagine wow. families having to go. Trauma. And I mm. think what, that's what Angus, I think he begged because she was borderline, she was 14, whatever, she was 15 mm. at this stage or going on 15 around that time. And she, I think he just said to Luke's, will you please do this? Mm. You know, she's kind of an adult anyway. And I think, that, well, I think now, mm. and that was back then I don't know what they do now but thank God we didn't have mm. to do that because even to try and get the you know to mm. go so we went to Luke's that day and I remember because my mother had been in Luke's and that was the first time ever I was over there and then I couldn't go in which I had to go in to get this treatment thing they do I don't know the ins and outs of it. but anyway that was fine we came out and we were waiting for the taxi back to Crumlin and um, that, that morning like we'd gone from Crumlin and gone back you know gone back over and there was a swing there and she had these um, she'd gotten them for her birthday which had been on the 11th of March so it was just a little few weeks before um, the runners she loved runners they were they were in shoe that shoe in the end of a concert we'd race around no. to try and get because she was a size six uh-huh. and I remember getting them and she had them on her and there was a pool of, of muck under the thing because I'd be very fussy anyway and she was swinging on the swing and I remember thinking don't put your shoes on yeah. for God's sake mum anyway we got back to Crumlin that day and um, that was the, the the day and I one of the nurses she was from Donegal and Lynn really liked her and she was only she only worked part time and she normally mm. wouldn't be there but she was there that day and she said I just want to take some bloods when we got back and I said but she took bloods this morning and mm. I just knew there was something and she said oh no but there was something about the menu she says I have to take them again and then in the meantime this other guy came from the the head place what's it called, whatever it's called neurology, uh, that, yeah. yeah neurology and he had been with her already and he came just out of the blue now mm. and he said to her I want you to draw a man Anyway, she drew the man. <laughs> she wasn't great at drawing, but she was oh. okay, better than I'd be. And uh, she'd also done a test that they do before a bone marrow transplant. She'd done half this test. It's um, it, She had to go down with someone and she had done it and she was going to do the other half of it that afternoon. And then he came and he kind of disturbed that and she drew the man. This was all obviously to do with maybe the brain thing or whatever. I don't really know. And in the meantime, Eileen had taken the blood. And actually, Eileen was very funny because she was from Donegal and she had come a couple of times she threatened Daniel O'Donnell on Lynn. And of course, you can imagine, I don't want Daniel O'Donnell and Robbie Williams or something she wanted. So she used to have great banter with Eileen. They said she was supposed to stay in that night and she was having something else the next morning. This was all part of the going towards the transplant. And she said, she always said, I remember she wrote in one little diary, I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning, if I can just get home to my own bed. So she said to them, now I'd say they knew at this stage, they knew they must have done something. Mm. They said, I remember, I think Angus was there and they said, look, you can go home tonight and you come back in the morning, Lynn. And of course, she was delighted getting home to her own bed. So we went home and I just knew there was something. Um, so I rang and I couldn't get Angus that afternoon. And we actually went up to Brendan's sister and had food. And she wasn't eating that well. When she could eat, mm. even still all through the illness, she would eat really well if she could. Mm. And she'd try to eat when she couldn't. But she didn't and she looked a bit weak, all right. And then I couldn't get Angus earlier. And then when we got home, it was around 10 and I rang again. And he he's, he's, he used to go home to his children, he young children, he'd mm. come back in. Anyway, he rang me back around 11 or something like that. And... That's what he said. He said, I'm sorry, it's it's back. There's nothing we can do. There's no point in the transplant. I remember thinking, I said, how am I going to tell her? And he said, I'll tell her if you like. And it's not that we wouldn't tell her. Brendan was upstairs. He'd gone up. He often sat with her, you know, just yeah. at the bed, I suppose, because of the way she was. And he came down. I just, I told him. And I just said, I remember we went to bed that night. And we just thought, 
Well, you know, we can't, there's nothing anybody can do. And I did say to him, because I said, well, we'll come in in the morning. I said, we'll see if we don't tell her. I said, maybe it's best you do tell her because she always had, she really did have a great, mm. good, that's kind of relationship with him. And again, I said to him, I don't want to go to the ward. Now, when we got there, we said we'd meet him at the end of this ramp and we knew where it was. And I didn't know he had an office up at the top of the ramp because he headed up as if he's going mm. to the ward. And she knew, I'd say. She knew anyway. We did. Now, there's no reason why we didn't tell her because it was all very open. But for whatever reason, we didn't. And I'd say she knew. She knew there was something up because you don't meet Angus at the ramp. And you, then we went to the mm. office. It was the same office that she told her about the relapse, I think. Or no, it probably wasn't because actually I'd never been in this office before. But anyway, we sat there and it was just him and a nurse. And it was the same thing. She just sat there in front of him and he just said, and he, he questioned himself afterwards because mm. he did ask me about that. He's just said to her, Lynn, I'm sorry, you know, the leukemia is back and you're going to die. And I remember she just sat there and she just, she just cried a little. That's when she cried. And she said, um, how long have I got and what way will I die? And he couldn't really, I mean, we'd seen a few children already, so you can imagine he couldn't really tell her. He just said, look, you could get anything up to eight weeks, which I think we all knew wasn't going to happen. Mm. And he said, um, you'll just, your body will kind of wind down. And that was it. She she just, that was, she said, no, I, I thought to myself, if you lie down there and die now, I don't blame you. But I knew she wouldn't. I kind of knew she wouldn't. And she didn't. She literally got up and she was determined to live every minute that she had. And she got nearly three weeks, which was wonderful. It really was. What and were those? Uh, what did you do in the three weeks? Those three yeah. weeks or well, so. Those like... weeks were, they really were. And they're the things that, you know, the way you say, when you look back and maybe what gives you the strength. No, they definitely were. Um, how she lived those weeks. And I mean, she really did. I remember the priest at her funeral said, Lynn thought he was a friend of ours as well. He And he was kind of a real alternative priest and he spoke out and stuff like that. So she loved him. She mm. wouldn't have been religious now. We didn't particularly, I didn't particularly go regularly to Mass or her, but she used to come when she was younger. Mm. And she asked for Kieran in those in that last week because she really liked him. And he said um, how she taught us how to live and she taught us how to die. There were wonderful weeks and people mm. were wonderful and physically she was able to do so much. It was great because she literally was. I mean, we were actually, we were worn out. Yeah. She she physically, she got the strength and she had it. And it was amazing because she was actually dying and, and she knew she was dying. Obviously, we went to Manchester. Westlife were brilliant. Oh. People people paid for us to go. Mm. And it was just friends through Moira in the hospital. And um, they paid for us to this beautiful place to stay. And there was a limousine. They paid for it. <laughs> they were wonderful now. Um, it was Niall Quinn and his wife and her her sister mm. and her and we didn't even know them now but they knew the story so they did that and then she went she got her her make-a-wish was on the kind of way anyway and her, her make-a-wish was Rob, was the famous Robbie Williams oh. which we didn't know was ever going to happen because he was away he was going away now that was just before we knew she was going to die and then we knew so we had to the wish had to mm. come quicker obviously so she picked the third wish Dromoland and again I think she kind of nearly picked that for us now Dromoland Castle wasn't the place we would have gone to not in those days mm. because we just couldn't have afforded it mm. but I mean it was it was something else now but I really think she did it for us but she had great fun we were allowed to bring her friend and my friend and a whole load of us mm. came and the same in Manchester with some that came with us and um, Dremoland was great like because it was just so kind of not our, not our thing mm. and I remember the room she walked into the big suite and she said oh my god this is bigger than my whole house you know? <laughs> well, we have a video that yeah. Gillian came with us and she took videos so it was lovely and then Manchester was fabulous I have to say those boys because it was it was more than just the meet and greet because these people knew them 
we were actually in the dressing room with them for about an hour and they brought out Brian McFadden at the time and it turned out that Siobhan her friend her mother is a teacher in Rosmania and she had taught Brian McFadden but anyway he brought no they all went off the stage and he was with Kerry Catona at the time she was a few months pregnant and we were in this beautiful suite and um, Nicky Nicky Byrne he was really nice to us the the, Mm. the oldies as we called ourselves myself and Brendan and Dolores Mm. my friend uh, who had lost Lorraine and we were there and he got us you know got us a glass of wine and got a beer for Brendan and then the boys came back with the girls but they'd lit because it's a huge I, I don't mm. know if you've ever been in at the Manchester Arena oh my god it's enormous and of course they had great fun and Brian McFadden apparently he wasn't supposed to be looking out through the court he was doing all sorts of things because he was a bit crazy of course <laughs> and then they all came back and they all sat with us and talked and eventually Nicky Brown looked at us watch he said we better get ready for the show and then Lynn said to him you better sing something for me now and uh, in the third song in Swear It Again he sang for you know it was very sad I was just wishing it was a different reason he was singing it for her. but they sat outside on the thing we kind of sat in the in the thing but it was wonderful I mean you know all the things we did we did various other things as well and it was just just amazing like and then the week that she she, her body did obviously she couldn't take any more and she was getting closer and that last kind of few days I suppose the best part of a week maybe she she kind of wound down and she was in the bed but she stayed at home and we that was her one wish and that's what led me to Laura Lane but she wrote her letters of thanks and she did all sorts of things like that she only had one little fit and that was it she could have fitted a lot and could have bled a bit but Mm. thankfully none of that happened and we were able to manage the fit and she still was able to eat and stuff and I don't know she just um, she just she just had she just had this strength or something and Kieran, the priest you know Kieran Dunn came down to her a couple of times and we asked him afterwards you know without breaking any kind of confidence is what did she say and he said her her one worry was about us how Mm. we'd survive Mm. (laughs) without her and Laura but I don't know whether it's because Laura and Lorraine of course was gone and whether because as I say she wouldn't have been particularly religious but I think she had this feeling that she was going to go to them yeah and that Mm. she you know that she'd be okay and whatever but she she just did yeah and then when she wasn't able to write I wrote the letters for her but she dictated Mm. you know she was Mm. just um, I don't know she really had courage beyond her 15 years you know and I don't know if I'll ever have that courage. Absolutely. Well, I think you have. I think it's amazing. And um, after that point, then obviously, Laura Lynn, yeah. the children's hospital. Yeah, happened. that's what led. Lynn, Lynn did say it was the one thing she said. She said, I just, I want to, I don't want to go back to Crumlin because she knew there was a possibility if she fitted mm. a lot or something. And she said, um, no, she loved, you know, she really appreciated what Crumlin did as we did mm. for both the children, even though they couldn't save them. But um, she didn't want to go back and she wanted, the, her other wish then was to be buried with, with Laura, to, for Laura to be brought to be buried with her. She picked where she wanted to be buried. It's a little church there in Castlenock Village mm. and Churchyard. It's, it's actually Church of Ireland, but it's that she really knew. And she, Lorraine was buried there. I think that was partly oh, why. Yeah. And she, and literally, you can't, you can't choose your grave there unless you're dead. But anyway, mm. we, you know, we laughed at that. But actually, they put her. Well, they, they didn't do it purposely, but it just by chance. Lorraine is here, and there's an old person who actually gave me some money for the charge from time to time. She lived not too far from us, and her husband are there, and she's there. So she couldn't have got closer if she tried in that mm. sense. And then she, her wish was that we brought Laura. So that that was her six months later because we had to yeah, I suppose we yeah. had to go now we only went on our own to Glasnevin and they didn't want us to go even but we did go yeah. and they took her up because they weren't sure I suppose what way the coffin would be but it was still completely intact and then we brought it and just it was just Brendan and I it was very hard and they had to open Lynn's grave again but it was the one thing she wanted and I suppose for us it was the funeral that we didn't remember so in a way it was yeah. kind of like resting the two of them you know yeah. together but I thought yeah what led me then was 
really that because she wanted to die at home. And I thought, I remember it not long after, I, remember, I don't know when the thought came in, I just said, um, do you know, if she, ha- if she hadn't, we, we, irrationally we would have felt guilty probably mm. forever, even though, you yeah, know, you, you know, we would have known there was nothing we could do. So I'm so glad that we got that, but that's what led me to it. And then when I started, when I realised there was none here and I started to do the research, I realised how much it really means to people. It's mm. not, it's not really about the death at all. It's, that's part of it. Yeah. If, if home isn't possible and you, you don't, you know, hospital, hopefully mm. you can avoid it. But um, it was the way the respite for the families. And of course, a lot of the children or 24 hour care it would be slightly different to Lynn or Laura you know mm. either of them might have had some use may, maybe probably more at the end but but it's more for you know 24 hour care really complex conditions and the, and the difference it makes I think a hospice provides I mean it's, it's actually they're, they're probably the most special places on earth yeah, um, there's some sort so. of tranquility yeah. and peace yeah. that it's unlike exactly anywhere else yeah. um, but what you talked about is the it, it gives you that time, yeah, that kind of quiet and that yeah. space to connect, yeah, and, and, and spend time together. That's yeah. not a hospital. That yeah, doesn't have all exactly. those fears and noises. Noises and people and coming in and out. And even the the this stuff is kind of hidden. You know, the medical you have to have it, but it's kind of hidden. And mm. it really is that home from home. Mm. And just for the other children like that, as as you yeah. said earlier, you know, the siblings and all, because life just isn't the same. And particularly, I mean, I look at these families that I know, and I still, I'm very grateful for what we did have. You know, the time we had, and that we didn't have this constant twenty four hour care. We had a touch mm. of it, obviously, more with Laura, I suppose. But you know, we didn't. And then I'm grateful for the, the years that we had, whereas these children are born with these. And, you know, it is from day one, like it's literally 24 hour care and it's very, very tough. And as you said earlier as well, it is very hard on the siblings that are already there because yeah. they're they're living. It changes their yeah, life as, as well. Does. And they're living their yeah. lives. How yeah. has because um, you talked to various people about set, do, setting up charities or yeah. doing something, whether it's a website or whether it's some sort of action to better something yeah. as a result of their grief. How has that helped you set up the hospice? How yeah. has that helped you not come to terms, but just live every day? Yeah, I think it, it was a big help because now that I've pulled back a lot, at now all these years down the road, I I find a part of me misses it. Like part of me is glad because I, you know, I'm getting older and you can't keep mm. up that kind mm. of pace. Um, I often wonder if I didn't do it, how would I still have survived as well as I hope I would, mm. and I hope I would have done something. But I I do think it had a, it played a big part. Yeah, I I think so. I hope so because I suppose. It kept it, it kept us doing stuff, and we were doing stuff that we knew would mean something to somebody. Now you know, so I'm glad it was that I, that I did. Mm. But yeah, I often think, what would I have done, and would I have survived as well? Yeah. Because I do find now even the pulling back, and I don't know whether it's maybe all these years later. Sometimes we say, sometimes these things hit you, you know, way mm. down the road that you do, you know, the enormity of it in the beginning, and you're kind of well, the first numb. is quite a blur. Yeah, yeah kind of you're exactly. Sort of Yes, you know, so you don't know. And limbo but I do find, yeah, I miss the girls more and more each year now. You know, Laura's birthday would have been the 20th there last Sunday, Sunday week. And, you know, she would have been 20. She'd be 24 if she was here wow. now. And Lynn will be 33 now in March. Wow. So, you know, and Lynn will be gone 18 years this year and Laura will be gone 20. So, you know, it's kind of it's a long time, but I, I do miss them more. I think about them more and I find um, I find them a little bit more down. And maybe that is partly because mm. I was so busy. I didn't have time 
time to think yeah. and whatever. I don't know. And yet we were dealing with it in a way because it was always like all the, you know, mm. interviews and different things. It was always having to tell the story and talk. Yeah. But I'm so glad now. And people like that, that's what I have to say. Like People are good. I, still to this day, like because um, a couple now that she writes books, Fran and Arthur, her husband, herself and her husband, and they publish the books and all. They're great and they give literally every penny to Laura Lynn and they do all the shows. Now, they started off years ago. She rang me one day. It was really funny. I got this phone call when I'd started off and obviously mm. she heard me on an interview or something and she got my number and she rang and she said, um, now I've written a few books and whatever and she said, but I never did anything with them and anyway, she went on and on. I can go on and on myself as we know. Brenda said, yeah, no one can go on more than you. But anyway, <laughs> she, she, we were on the phone for about an hour and I mean, Fran knows this now and uh. she, she, she said, you know, I said to myself, I'll never hear from her again because she said, I, I want to do something. I think I'll get mm. them published or do something anyway and I was very wrong about that one because 12 books later and she, they've raised over half a million oh, now and they've up when I go and help them at the stands because they literally do all the shows now like Bloom there, RDS mm. they do all the yeah. shows there and they go around the country they've spread like the word as well mm. as apart from the money they've really they're yeah. great ambassadors and they love doing it and all that mm. but when you're there when you're there I was only there with them at the holiday show I, I just go for an hour and a half now these people they're in their 70s you would never think it but they stand there for all the, at all these shows for five days maybe Christmas shows mm. and they're long I don't know how they do it because a couple of hours is enough for me but anyway you're there and you see the people are just so and this is all these years later yeah. where you know and they give and give and give only for all of the people we would never yeah. it, we've never have had it do you know it would mm. never be there and how did you find um, yourself and Brendan getting like it's very hard for, for two people to grieve in the same way yeah. And it's very hard for relationships to endure. Even they can be sibling relationships, parent yeah. relationships, mm. uh, but couples, it can be very, very difficult yeah. to endure something so huge and yeah. to, to get through it. How did you guys? I don't know. I often wonder, really. So somehow, yes, people do say that. Are you still together? It's a question we w- I would have often gotten asked because when I did the research, even in around, you know, lots of places, England and Scotland and Wales, a lot of families, they, the marriages didn't survive. Yeah. And that was even with other children. I, I don't know, I suppose. He, Brandon was always there with me, but he was in the background a lot and then um, and he was working and stuff. And I don't know, we just got on and we, we do. And he wouldn't have talked as much or talked as openly as I would. And I do think that everybody agrees differently anyway but I think men and women particularly yeah. you know grief somehow I suppose we, we just you know I, I think Lynn again just the way she dealt with what mm. she did and she probably helped him a lot he he wouldn't talk about it that much really mm. now you know but I can see he's pretty broken hearted and I often looked at him and thought you know I, I felt sorry for myself, but I felt even sorrier for him because I think men, they do find yeah. it, particularly men of mm-hmm. our, his, his generation, our generation, you know, maybe younger people now, hopefully, I think boys and men, they're more open. Anyway, I hope they will be. Yeah. But I think, you know, it was hard. And I think because he felt he couldn't maybe or didn't want to or whatever. Mm-hmm. I do don't you know. do something in their memory every year for their birthdays or do you do, I, do you just have a peaceful yeah. time? Or how, yeah, do you, just, how do you get through yeah. that day? We don't actually, funny enough, we did the first usual, the mm. first we did mass for each and that, but I haven't, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I find that coming up to the day, the day itself is, you know, the birthdays or mm. the anniversaries are, are not that hard. Christmas now, while I still like mm. Christmas and parts of Christmas, and but 
it, that can be hard as well. Still hit you out of the blue, like you might be in a shop yeah. and see something they like, yeah. and that's or um, a song yeah. or something, yeah, or something that, yeah. yeah, just something that, and it might be the very day that you don't think you're kind of mm, so yeah. bad, and mm. suddenly then something like that, yeah, mm. yeah. I, f- I found that over the years, all right, yeah. and then I suppose looking at other children when I when I am around some of the families that I'd known, Laura mm. Lynn, and that you know you're kind of looking and thinking, God, and they have to face it as well, you yeah. know. But I I know from them as well, and that probably gives us a good lift that you know they do say the ones we would know I don't know everyone because I'm not I was never based on the ground anyway you know all my work is voluntary and that but I would be in and out and I'm still in touch even though I've pulled back a lot I'm actually meeting the CEO tomorrow now just she's a new CEO relatively you know Mm. they're kind of looking at you know doing doing maybe yeah. something different a new strategy that they're looking at so I want to find out but it is um, the families that I do know and the ones that sadly their little ones are gone now and they're lovely and they just say they really say all the time how much it meant and they couldn't have survived without it they would have had to if it wasn't there I suppose but mm. the fact that it's there yeah. so that's why I think I feel so strongly about it you know and that it keeps going and that it is helping them it can't change the end unfortunately no. you know but, but at least what a beautiful what it legacy and it's you, a legacy you have yeah. left behind for your two yeah. girls I mean yeah, their names yeah so someone said that yeah, when we're gone their names yeah. will still names be there are so yeah. familiar to people um, yeah. and you guys yeah. um, took something that's truly unimaginable and, and created a beautiful legacy in both their names thanks. thank you so much for well, thank coming you. on the podcast yeah. and thank you very much too thanks Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.